hailing from a military dad and recovering Catholic, proudly Sandra D. mom, imagine, had no other choice but to become a sex educator just to sail the shaky waters of the human experience and help her family survive. Actually, they didn't really take advice from you, uh, but many have. Thousands of others have improved their lives, boosted their confidence, learned the art of asking for what they want and have gotten it, stepped into their power, learned to radically love their bodies, showed up as emotionally powerful in their relationships, rock starred their midlife with the best sex ever and put in perspective and practice the very real and important role sexuality has and has meant to be, uh, role sexuality was meant to play in their lives under your utilage, tutelage. Imagine is the author of Woman on Fire, Nine Elements to Wake Up Your Erotic Energy, Personal Power and Sexual Intelligence, and co-author of the best-selling classic Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men. Recently published in second edition, she earned her master's degree from human sex in human sexuality education at New York University and has been teaching and speaking about feminism and sexuality for over two decades. And the documentary On the Horizon, which we hope at your cervix, a must-see, I've had the privilege of seeing it, uh, will be out post-haste. <laughs> Soon. <laughs> Soon. One of my favorite people in the world, a powerhouse leader and my very good friend, Imagine Nation Goddard. <laughs> Some of you may know her as Amy Jo Goddard. And she joins us here now. One of my most um, anticipated interviews because I feel like our sexuality is something that gets at the core of who we are, our limitations, our fears, shame, all of that stuff we're gonna be talking about today. Um, I would like just for the audience to know, uh, the, the shift in name, give us a brief, uh, explanation of, of that experience, why you chose it, um, and then, or how you chose it and the original name, Amy Jo moving over to imagine. So that is the first question. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really powerful to change your name and name yourself. I knew, I've probably known for about 20 years that eventually I would change my name. Imagine lands on something quite profound here. When we listen and are intuitive and trust our inner guide, not only can our name change and represent the sound that we want to emulate, we also can connect on a deeper level to our truth and power. And that's what Imagine is sharing here. If you feel resistant to the conversation around spirit, intuition, listening, then I encourage you to listen further. We dive deep into sexuality in this interview, and it is one of the most powerful and profound conversations that I've had. There are so many blocks that we have around our sexuality. Our sacral chakra is quite often held captive by shame and guilt and blame and things that we don't want to acknowledge. We dive in here and I'm so glad that Imagine came on board to do this experience with me and with you. Before it showed up in ceremony and I was just getting ready to make this big move out of Los Angeles during COVID um, to have a new experience. And it, it literally happened the week I was leaving. So there was all this transition and, and change in my life and it happened sort of, there was a lot of synchronicities with it. Um, but yeah, when they gave me the name, I was like, really? Wait, that gets to be my name? <laughs> and they were like, did you not hear us right? Let us share <laughs> hey, that. Imagine. So yeah, and, and, it, and it, I love it. And it's not a name I could have thought up. You know, it just, it came so beautifully and so perfectly and it's always in divine timing. It's always, mm -hmm you know, things show up when they need to. And, um, you know, right as I was just getting ready to turn 50. So that was like another big kind of, you know, this big milestone birthday. And um, not that age really matters, chronological age really matters. Um, but 
certainly humans put importance on birthdays like 50. So, so it just felt like a really perfect time. And I've been going through a lot of metamorphosis in my own, not just in my own being, but also in the work that I do and how I want to present that work uh, to the world. And so, um, so it, it's all really coincided really beautifully. You know, and I feel like that's what a lot of people say that I help them do, that I really help them imagine a different life. I help them imagine um, different relationship, different way of being and their sexuality and their bodies and, and desire. And so it felt really perfect. And possibility. Possibility lives in imagination. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that is really at the core of what I do in my work. I share here with Imagine that we often search for the meaning of our names in character. When we are diving into a script and we're given a name by the writer, that name is going to be a guiding light for who that character is. And in transformation work, the first question we ask ourselves is, who am I? And then what do I want? The who am I is often reflected in our name, as I express my namesake, and we dive in a little bit deeper into the importance of a name and how we get to step into the power in which our name represents. So when we acknowledge what that is, when we acknowledge what our name means, it's almost a constant reminder to step into that every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this by you giving yourself that label, <clears throat> that uh, name, it's a constant uh, reminder for you that that is your truth, that is part of who you are. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sounds carry meaning and how we are called, how we are, 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 are called by people many, many times a day matters. And people screwed up my name all the time when it was Amy Jo. They would shorten it to Amy, which I absolutely hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, I'm not an Amy. <laughs> I'm really not an Amy Jo, but I'm really, really not an Amy. So, you know, I never thought my name really suited who I was and and um, it, it felt like a there's an end to it there's a like a Joe is hard right but mm-hmm. it means creative so the Joe is really important to me mm-hmm. since we are unleashing the creative beast yeah right? so beloved Amor Amy and then creative Joe um, so that was really really important that piece but um, it, it, it has a hard sound right whereas imagine opens up there's a there's a expansiveness and the name feels completely different and so it, it feels it feels really good to be called something that that resonates with who I am and my being and our names are important and there's a lot of power in naming ourselves. We transition into identity and the understanding that the person that we've been in our previous life in in, in the life that has gotten us to where we are now has served us, has gotten us here. And there are moments in our life where we realize that that way of being no longer serves us. We have survived, we've gotten to this place, and now by listening to our intuition and a calling, we may often find ourselves in a place of transformation and our way of being previous to may not may no longer serve us. Imagine describes and explains here the importance of words and identity. And, and, you know, I always kind of question what we mean by that. I think we need to be careful of language. I think Mm. there's, um, you know, we often talk about masculine, feminine in a very sort of gender stereotypical way, but that, you know, there, I've definitely always been someone with a a lot of drive, a lot of will, a lot of like, go get them, make things happen. And, And I've done well with that in my life. And, um, and then there's a, there, you know, I think what I'm running into is the places where that's been really unsatisfying, where it doesn't nourish me, you know, and the places where I want to be able to be softer and slower, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in New York for 20 years. I'm from, Cal- you know, Southern California. I came back to Los Angeles, still in the big city, not quite as fast paced as New York, but, you know, that felt. New York made sense to me. It's like when I moved to New York, when I was in my early twenties, I didn't miss a beat. I just went right into life there. And it just, it felt like, yes, this is my place. And, and it was for a long time until it wasn't anymore. You know, I think people that know me know that there's a real tenderness underneath that kind of tough go get them exterior. 
Um, and I want to be able to wear that more out front. So I wore my little pink flower dress for you. You are stunning. Everything. Hello. You, you are stunning. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine actually got ready in my restroom this morning. So we, we, we thought about doing this uh, together uh, on that couch. And uh, this just seemed to be simplified because we want to also enjoy the rest of our day. Um, so yeah, and I love how you really clarify that. And I think it is so important in the arts that a blend of masculine and feminine, and it's not, it, it, it's, it, it's an energy and both are relevant, both have a purpose, both have a place, and we can all access all of those all the time. We are not just one thing. And there's a beautiful blend that we are, we are um, experiencing in our culture right now. If we allow that as a possibility, this blend that, you know, masculinity isn't just on the shoulders of white straight men or black straight men or just men. You know, the, this this weight of of masculinity can be carried by all of us. The 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 resilience and the and the power and the the givingness and the receivingness of the feminine energy can also be so powerful. Um, would you like to clarify that? Because I'm speaking to that, and this is your your world. Yeah. And like I said, I don't use those terms a lot. A lot of people do. Um, I try what's to another, say, what's another way of communicating this? I mean, I just, I just think they're, they're, you know, we, we assign qualities to them, right? And we say, well, this is masculine, this is feminine. Um, and usually it relates back to, you know, like this idea of like male bodied people, you know, who have penises mm -hmm. that like are pushing energy into the world, right? Or like um, are more the, you know, the active uh, energetic in the world versus, you know, these female people or people with vaginas that are like receptive and they're pulling in and, you know, um, like there's something reductive about that. There's something reductive about that. So, um, and yeah, we just, we all get to have those energies um, regardless of gender. I think just too often, particularly in straight communities um, or more heterosexual, heteronormative, I should say, conversations, it gets reduced to um, equating with gender. Um, and it just doesn't, you know? And so all the time people will say, God, like you're a woman, but man, you have so much masculine energy, you know? And it's like, so because I go for things in the world and because I like, I'm good at like making things happen and kind of being out there that makes me masculine. Like what, what is it that makes me masculine, you know? And so I think really some of it also has to do with permission and like what we give ourselves permission to really be and how we give ourselves permission to be in the world. Um, you know, I teach sexuality as like the core of my work. And so, so often, you know, there are these ideas related to gender where women feel like, you know, women who partner with men feel like, God, I have to wait. I have to wait for, you know, permission or for him to come ask me on a date or for him to make the move on me, you know? And, and likewise, I'll hear things like, you know, that when women do get you know, become a more assertive partner or initiatory that sometimes their partners are like, whoa, hey, you know, like thrown off by it. And we get to be all of these things, you yeah. know. Um, my first book is Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men. And, um, you know, one thing I've heard from a lot of men over the years actually is like, I want my partner to initiate more. I want my partner to, I don't want to have all the pressure of always being the one that has to initiate things. And, you know, so there's this weird irony to it in that, you know, that that in the social construct, and I, I feel like that's shifting. Um, but the social construct is that the men have been taught, you know, that old 50s, you know, the masculine is the advancer, the woman is taught to say no until, you know, five times. And so, so there's this confusion. And I've, 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 I've heard articles, or I've heard interviews, where there's this confusion on, on, with the experience of, of the male figure in that relationship, I don't know what to do because no means no, but I've been taught that you continue to advance until you've figured out a way to get her to, 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 to enroll her, right? And the woman is put in this position where society, parental figures, uh, whatever, has been told 
to play hard to get or that's the experience anyway that that i feel like men um feel like that the, the they're up against what's the what's the conversation to shift that yeah what, what, i mean there's so many pieces to this right yeah. like number one you know we're we're really conditioned to think of sex as again very reduced to like this one story right a it's always heterosexual we grow up learning that um, there's going to be a penis in a vagina that's going to be the main event you know there might be like this moment of spontaneous desire when you know he walks into the room they their eyes meet i mean you, you know you're in you're in the movies right how many times have we seen yeah. this story in movies right they their eyes meet from across the room and they lock and and it's you know it's desire at first sight you know and you know cut to maybe like a moment of flirtation and then just like cut to naked in bed you know, uh, we, we don't see any conversation, any like pre-negotiation, anything about what do you like? What do you want? What kind of sex do you want to have? Um, how, you know, what are you into? Uh, what do you need in terms of safer sex? You know, no, none of that. We see no none conversation. Of that. We're afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And it's just suddenly it's action and you know we might see like a little bit of kissing and you know kissing of body or you know attention to body and then there's like penis and vagina and then of course both people are simultaneously orgasming and you know that's what orgasm looks like and then roll over have a cigarette and there is world peace i mean that's <laughs> really that's the image of sex that we have, you know? Okay. And so we grow up taking that idea in over and over again, many, many problems with this story. Number one, spontaneous desire doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes, maybe, sometimes you meet someone and you're just like, oh my God, there's something about that person and I'm yeah. electric. But most of the time, that is not what desire looks like. Mm -hmm. Desire is responsive. We respond to things. We see someone in their brilliance and we're just like, oh my God, that is so attractive. Or, you know, someone gives us attention that, that we're craving, you know, or that feels really good and we respond to that, you know? Or, you know, I think for couples that have been together a long time, responsive desire can look like, oh my God, my partner totally cooked dinner and did all the dishes and put the kids to bed. That is freaking hot it's on, <laughs> you, you know, like we respond to things. It's not this like, Ooh, it's magic. And it just occurred in my body because, you know, of a momentary connection and, you know, the spontaneous combustion of desire. That's just not what it looks like. And, but I think that's the, that's the thing we're measuring our desire against. That's the expectation. And yeah. many of us know, especially if you're in the arts, especially if you've lived a while in the romance world, um, that that that's the expectation. You know, there's this idealized, you know, uh, being picked up and saved. There's this idealized uh, role that that one plays and the other plays, and it, it doesn't have to be that way. It gets to be fluid. Um, yeah. Yeah, really and the big. thrill of the chase, and then also this idea that the woman is always the gatekeeper, right? That like I'm holding the gate and deciding, you know, what happens rather than it's a negotiation between two people, no matter what your gender is. Yeah. Like there's a negotiation. And I think that queer people understand this better, mm -hmm. you know, and that's part of why I wrote my first book. I, I, I felt like there was some perspectives from a perspective of queer sex that would be really helpful to heterosexual people. Because this idea that, um, oh, you wanna have sex with me and I just know what that means. Like queer people negotiate more. With queer people, it's like, oh, well, what are you into? You know, like, oh, are you top or bottom? Are you this, or are you that? Are you kinky? Do you like this? You know, like what kind of play do you like? I mean, there is more negotiation. Now that doesn't mean that all the gay people do this well because they don't i don't want to miss you know right. misrepresent that but i think we are used to less assumptions less assumptions about what you and i getting together is going to mean mm -hmm. and there's a lot for heterosexual people to to gain from that and this you know one of the th Will you know you one of repeat that because that was re i really want really i really want that to be heard there are less assumptions and talk about assumptions you may be going there but i really want that to land which is 
um, there are less assumptions because of our uh, topography, our social, the queer social topography, than there are inside the heteronormative experience. Yeah, I think this is one of the places where gay people really win, <laughs> right? Because we're not um, we're not holding ourselves necessarily to those same standards that we've seen our whole lives in movies. I mean, we're all impacted by it. There's none of us that aren't impacted by it, even if even if you're like gay, gay, gay from the very beginning. Um, we still take in those ideas, you know, but I think, you know, I think the big assumption, the big problematic assumption that is made in heterosexual sex is that there's going to be a penis and a vagina and that that's going to be the main event. Mm -hmm. And we call all the things that lead up to that foreplay, which is a, in my opinion, very sexist idea, because a lot of the things that are kind of relegated to this, this category of foreplay are the things that get women off or the things that get people with vulvas off. What makes that kind of before the real action, right? For play, it's like, no, it's all play. That is the play. And that could be where sex today stays. There may be no penis in a vagina and everyone could be satisfied and there might be orgasms and there might not be, and people could still be satisfied. Like it gets to look all kinds of ways. And I think the more people let go of that pressure, because I think there's actually a lot of pressure on men about that too. It's like, oh, well, if I can't get a, and, and maintain a really great erection, we're not gonna have a good sexual experience. And that pressure is all on me and oh, my right. erection. That's a lot exactly. of pressure. <laughs> and that I have to ejaculate. Right. And I have to, to perform that the, that the, the, the woman, um, it, it has to receive me and I don't, I, I don't get to receive from the woman, you know, and vice versa, um, this whole, and, and there's so much more as a possibility in, right. in that relationship. And I think everyone gets shortchanged, right? You know, and I think also it's that, like that men are just supposed to know what to do, <laughs> but I mean, we've all learned this very limited idea of what sex is. And so if that's our playbook, I mean, you're not going to win the Super Bowl with that playbook, right? We dive in now to the benefits that the queer community can offer society as a whole, not only in creativity and in theatrics and drama and science and math and all of those things, but the, the necessity in which communication around sex and the role around sex can play in our lives. I really value the conversation here with Imagine. And now we talk about and we dive deep into those relationships that you can have with someone that is in the queer community that can elevate your creativity, elevate your uh, relationship with sex and elevate your relationship with your significant other. It's really powerful. You know, you and I were talking about this this morning, right? It, you know, what are the, you know, what are the two things that every human needs to understand that most of us never get in school, mm -hmm. sex education and real world financial education. Yes. And, you know, and I do a lot of teaching. Down. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I do a lot of teaching about sex and money because they're all second chakra issues, right? All of that is second chakra. Sex is there, money is there, attraction, desire, right? It's like first chakra is, is that raw root self, right? That raw energy in the root, that primal energy that is connected to our tribe. And then we bring that up into the second chakra and then that energy wants to connect, right? And so then desire and attraction comes in. And, you know, and there's the moving outward that happens there. And then that, that also is about how we are in relationship and how we are with money. Um, finances. And so I've done a lot of teaching about sex and money because there's so many parallels. There's, you know, really, really important to look at. And, you know, it's not as simple as like, oh, well, so if you're having a lot of sex, you make a lot of money. No, <laughs> but um, I'd be a bazillionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, the both of both sex and money come through relationship, right? Money comes to us from our relationship. To other people or through our relationships to other people it comes from source but it comes through relationships with other people and you know sex comes from either our relationship to self our relationship to other um, our relationship to nature divine ecosexuality you know there's like there's a lot of different flavors that don't necessarily get talked about and expressions of that you know but we tend to run the same patterns around sex 
that we run about money and vice versa. Mm. And so looking at what those patterns are, whether it's worthiness, unworthiness, whether it is, you know, abundance, whether it is, you know, lack and scarcity, you know, we run the, the same kind of energy. And when we can break through that energy in one, it helps us break through in the other. And that's what I've seen in, in my work. Wow, what a great opportunity to pause and ask yourself, where are your limitations that you experience around sexuality and sex? And maybe dive a little deeper into that relationship between sex and money. And if we are living in scarcity or if we are living in um, control or if we are living in there's not enough to go around, whatever that might be for you then look at your experience and relationship with both of these items and see if you can dive deeper into that parallel. I know that I certainly have. I took a moment and I journaled about this because it was so powerful and so impactful. I encourage you to do the same. What would it look like if we began to create um, scenes that represented a healthy, you know, emergence of two people, you know, cause you're right. So often it's, I see you, you see me, bam, we're having sex. I come, you know, and then, and then, you know, the music plays and we go off into the right. air, the shots. Exactly. What uh, would that look, what would that look like in a, in a film? I mean, it can look so many ways, you know, I do think that one of the, you know, great things that's happening in our media, is it more, there's more, queer people and people of color that are making it, <laughs> that are writing it. Um, more women, you know, it's like, we're so used to what that male gaze is, right? I mean, there's a, there's a whole, you know, canon around looking at the male gaze, you know, this is a whole thing in, in you know, feminism. And what if we're looking through a different gaze? Like what, what are other things we might focus on? You know, it tends to be so, you know, that women's bodies tend to be very objectified and there's really particular camera angles and ways that we, we do that. Um, so it's, you know, what would it look like if it's whole body, if we're subjectified more than objectified? What if, um, you know, what if we, we actually showed some of that negotiation or some of that bigger process, some of the complexity of, sex right but a lot of times sex scenes are put in for you know the eroticism of it the titillation of it and nothing wrong with you know like i like to watch a sexy scene nothing wrong with that but sometimes it is gratuitous sometimes it's not actually what is really called for you know and there have been films like uh what is that one blue is the what's that one it's a you know it's like a lesbian story but it was made by men and it was very uh, blue is the something color I forget now but um, it's I very, know what you're talking about yeah 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 it's you know the the angles the way that sex was portrayed it's like this is a man's fantasy this actually isn't a woman's fantasy you know so I think that you know I think a, like, get some people to consult with you on your script who actually have a different perspective. I mean, that's important. Um, you know, it, what tends to happen is we make, you know, obviously we write about the things that we know or we've experienced. And so if we're like regurgitating our own unhealthy sexual past or upbringing or lack of sex education, then that's what we're seeing over we're and over. Put that and, out there and that's what's going to be reflected again and again. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite, uh, what's your favorite sex scene in a movie? Oh gosh. Oh. Um, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, you know, I tend to, you know, I tend to think of like things like Bound, right? So like for instance, Bound is, you know, I'm dating myself. Some people don't remember Bound, right? But, um, uh, Gina I'll Grishon. go one further back than that, but. Yeah, Gina, Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly, right? So it was like a, a mobster film, but it was this like lesbian love story of these two women that you know, are part of the mob. And, um, you know, they actually invited Susie Bright, who is an amazing sex educator and author, to consult 
on the sex scenes between the women and it shows. And one of the things that, you know, Susie has talked about <laughs> in uh, interviews about that was that she really got them to focus on hands. Like lesbians pay attention to hands. Yeah. A lot of our sex is, I'm teaching hand sex this week, right? Because, you know, it's one of my favorite things to teach because hand sex gets so shortchanged and some of the best sex I've had is hand sex. And so, you know, and I think again, it can be this stereotypical idea of like, oh, that's boring if there's not a penis involved oh my god you know it's like yeah 10 digits <laughs> that are very facile yeah. Yeah. there's a lot you can do with that it's one of the um, first things i look at on men and me women too, right yeah. it, i it, always notice hands and so susie had a lot of the focus of the camera angles and the way that they portrayed the sex scene had to do with hands right so it can be something as simple as that but it's you know Again, a lot of times, what are we focusing on? We're focusing on, you know, intercourse specifically, um, you know, typical body parts like breasts. <laughs> um, not that, you know, sure, I like to see nice breasts, but, you know, there's just so much more. There's so many more beautiful erotic moments or ways that the body moves. And I think we could get a lot more creative about how we portray that. And then I think it's all the things around sex. It's not just that moment. It's all that stuff that leads up to it, all the confusion or uncertainty that can be a part of it, you know, all of what happens after. And, you know, sometimes that's done better than others, but um, yeah. yeah, I guess bound is the first one that comes to mind. What's the first one that comes to mind for you? Oh, the hunger. Uh, oh yeah. Miranda yeah, yeah. And David Bowie. Yeah. It was just one of the most, and I, there's a, it was a, th a threesome you know, in that, in that scene, I can't remember the name of the, name of the, of the other actress, but I just remember very early on going, that was beautiful. So one other film reference that I make here is Meet Joe Black. I thought that film was really incredible and well done in the sex scene in, in, in that film, really loving and touching. Moving forward and moving right along, I dive deep into a more vulnerable conversation with Imagine where I share an experience that she supported me through not even knowing that I was going to go through a transformation and a metamorphosis around my relationship with sex, Imagine supports me here. This is tribute to not only how deep sometimes our shame can go, sometimes we're not aware of it, and someone with your experience and your expertise, um, your nurturing way, uh, when we are open to it, we can receive new information about ourselves and re- interpret an experience. So um, you helped me uncover something. It was very special, very deep recently. We'll leave some of the things to the, imagina the imagination. <laughs> but I'm, you know, for the benefit of this audience, I'm definitely not afraid to go into this experience. I describe here my relationship with women has always been very comfortable. However, I didn't realize a deeper resentment, a deeper emotion of resentment that I had had, and I share that here with Imagine, the experience that she supported me through very recently. The reason why I felt resentment, and I didn't know it, but I did after this, was that growing up, I was forced to say that I wanted something that I didn't want. Mm. I was forced to, and I know women can relate to this, obviously, but I was forced to pretend that something, I liked something, pretend that uh, something was natural for me and was so inauthentic. While I've loved my girlfriends, you know, the, uh, I've loved my sexual relationships, underneath that was just something that, that, that I felt in a way, and this may be a strong word, um, I felt raped in the, in, the, in, in, in the experience on a very small scale, but still there was something shameful that I was experiencing, something that uh, was unfair. And you, supported in opening me up to that realization. I'm so grateful. Um, and that's something that was the beginning of me on feeling more confident in my life. For me, the feeling was resentment that I didn't even know that I had. The other feelings could be shame, could be anger, could be hurt, some sort of pain or lower vibrational energy that we're not even aware of, as was the case. I ask Imagine to dive a little deeper in, in the next part of this conversation. I have been teaching sexuality for 25 years. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, literally thousands and thousands of people I have come into contact over those years. I haven't met anyone that doesn't have some kind of sexual shame in their history. And um, very persistently um, in you know my business's email inbox, the thing that people write the most about is experiencing shame and not knowing what to do with it or wanting to heal it or the way that it's held them back in their sexuality. And it comes in all different flavors. Um, but the core is that we think there's something shameful either about our bodies, our sexual functioning, our sexual performance, our sexual desirability, our sexuality period, <laughs> um, who we're attracted to, what we want, what we desire. We think that there is something intrinsically wrong with that. And it creates a sense of shame that we hold inside because this is such a taboo topic. It's so hard to talk about. So we don't tell anybody about it, which makes it bigger. And, um, and then it, it hinders us. It hinders what we go after, what we think we can have. Um, you know, I mean, and it, and it runs the gamut from people who are really attracted to people of their gender or, you know, to some kind of queer or kinky sexuality or people that are taught to be monogamous but want to be polyamorous. It could be things like that all along that spectrum to things like there's something wrong with my body. There's something wrong with the smell of my body. There's something wrong with how I look. There's something, you know, I don't love right. There's something about how I love or how I do sex that isn't right. Um, there's very few people that haven't experienced that. And that's because our, our cultural, our overarching cultural conversation about sexuality is still so rooted in shame. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's true for most cultures in the world. I don't think there's many cultures in the world um, that are really as a culture coming from a very healthy place about sexuality where by and large, the people growing up in that culture have a healthy view of it, think it's a beautiful, natural, normal part of their lives that they get to feel empowered by and not feel like it's something that is going to hurt them or that there's a deficit or, you know, all the things I'm supposed to avoid, you know, it's like, we learn all of that. We learn sexuality from this place of deficit, um, from this place of all the things that can be harmful about it, all the things that can go wrong, um, you know, unplanned pregnancies and STIs and woo, scary, bad, you know, um, and certainly if you grow up with a, with a, conservative religious background of many different religions, you, you will probably learn those kinds of ideas. So that is the biggest thing, hands down, absolutely, that holds people back from their true sexual expression and their sexual joy and, and pleasure. Yeah. And I, for me, the opening up, feeling trust, right? So 100%, I, I trust you immensely. And because of that trust and because of that uh, container and space that you were uh, able to, um, we were able to, to to share experiences in. That 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 trust is huge for me, um, you know. And 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 I think that that's it, it, that's trust for myself and trust for the people that I allow in, um, and then being open, because that's where breakthrough happens, right? Is 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 acknowledging. Um, being in the breakdown and then, you know, as we know, uh, allowing ourselves to move through, but it was my responsibility to acknowledge it and my responsibility to be introspective and go, oh, that's where that is. That's what that's coming from. And then realize that, that where that is in my chest was this threat, this, this, you're going to want something from me that I don't want to give. And that's not fair. Right. And, and, and that's that, how a lot of women feel. Exactly. Right. That's, I mean, that's how, you know, it, it keeps us apart, you know, this idea, you know, and, and the thing that heals that more than anything is, is that you create a trust in yourself mm. that you're going to be able to negotiate that you're going to be able to shift Yeah. where there needs to be a shift and no one's going to take anything from you because you're, you're able and skilled enough to show up in the negotiation, which again is why we need that so much. <laughs> Acknowledging our emotions and feelings around our sexuality 
is so paramount to developing our confidence, empowering us into new healthy relationships, empowering us in all dynamics in our life. We discuss here the power of empathy and how important it is to acknowledge the relationship that sex and shame have on our society. My sexuality. Now we go a little deeper into the detrimental effects in which our inability to communicate and build healthy relationships around our sexual identity will cause and do cause in our society. And those effects are devastating and have been for centuries. It is time we make a shift and Imagine acknowledges that here. Well, first, I do think it's important to acknowledge that the vast majority of sexual violence is perpetrated by men against women. Mm -hmm. Not all of it. Men experience it as well. Um, Women do sometimes perpetrate it and people of other genders. But by and large, 90 something percent of sexual violence is men, cis men, to women experiencing it. So that, that also is the, like, that's the soup, right? That men and women are swimming in, um, where there is a real lack of trust, where there is a lot of fear for good reason. And um, when people get to a place in themselves where they know who they are, they are clear about their boundaries, they are able to communicate those boundaries it's, it's very difficult for, uh, like the, like the, it's back to that vibration piece, right? We're experiencing, we're expressing such a different vibration at that point that we aren't susceptible in the same way, right? I mean, we know from research, right? That, you know, perpetrators of violence, whether it's sexual violence or something else, they're looking for someone they can victimize. They're looking for the person that's meek. They're looking for the person that's not really paying attention to their surroundings, that's small, that's insecure, that doesn't look like they're gonna defend themselves, right? I mean, that's just predator prey, right? I mean, the predator is looking for the easiest the prey. One, the weak one. The, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, it's not to say that that's always the case, but by and large, when we get to that, ourselves where we truly have that internal confidence and that self-awareness and self-knowing of this is what I'm up for. This is what I don't want. I trust myself to be able to communicate that in a sexual situation. So then I don't have to avoid sexual situations because I'm so terrified of having that conversation. And I think a lot of times with women uh, and men, it's, it's, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. There's really a lot of that, you know, we are so socialized as women to take care of everybody else. And that includes taking care of the feelings of everyone else. And so there's a really big fear in a lot of women, even if it's not someone you want to date. Oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to make him feel bad. Um, And I think a lot of men just don't give a flying fuck, quite frankly. (laughs) So I'm making generalizations, but I, you know, I think when we can get to a point of like, yeah, your feelings you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to be cruel. It doesn't mean I'm going to be callous to you, but that's not going to be my number one concern. My number one concern is that I am in integrity and alignment with myself um, and that I'm honest and true in our conversation. It's so true. And it goes back to beingness. Uh, how are you being, uh, you know, confidence is, you know, I look back on my life when, when I know, like when I was living in New York, there were moments in my life that were threatened. Um, and because of my confidence, because of my awareness, because of my, my understanding of the situation that was happening and my willingness to say no, right. Or my willingness to be in a place that was, you're not going to be able to do this. Um, that confidence was the reason why I was saved, right. That confidence was the reason why I didn't get, you know, mugged. I hope that analogy lands. And if not, we dive a little bit deeper here with, the conversation around responsibility and being source. We as a society have a very big responsibility to communicate effectively and rid ourselves of the shame and oppressive nature that sex has on our society. 
it is toxic. And once we get to a place where we can acknowledge responsibility, have conversations like this, and deal with our own shame, then we can move into a more powerful, open and loving, joyful experience around our sexuality. You shift that through your beingness. I don't feel like you blame anyone in your experience. I feel like you call out facts, like you call out statistics. Maybe you explore generalizations based on st statistics, but you are responsible for yourself and you're not responsible for that man's feelings or you're not responsible for someone else's feelings and they get to be responsible for their own feelings. Yeah, and I think also we're taking responsibility for other people's desire, you know? It's like, and I think what ends up happening is people feel bad that they're desired. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I'm feeling really bad that he desires me and I don't want him. It's like, oh, end up we've all got desires that some of them we get to live out and some of them just get to remain a fantasy and we're not ever going to live them out. <laughs> you know, we've all got that. And, you know, because someone has a desire doesn't mean you did something wrong, <laughs> you know, but I think we learn to think like, oh, I should really pull it in. Like, like it's, it's bad that this person's desiring me. No, like how lovely. Thank you so much for the compliment. That is not what I am up for, but thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> like it could be as simple as that, you know, but we make it such this big deal. Mm -hmm. we have desires all the time yeah and we and that's another place where shame lives you know mm -hmm. is I'm, I'm ashamed of my desire rules on set rules across the board uh you know if i'm i if i'm i don't hurt you i don't hurt myself bam mm -hmm. that that's the rule like if if that was just the law <laughs> like you know and, and and that was the law and love thy brother if those were the things that um uh were were our truths um the reminders of who we get to be in the world then i think it could just be as simple as that um well yeah and i think it's it's asking myself it does my action here do anything to take away someone else's freedom you know does it do anything to take away my own freedom then mm -hmm. cool if, if the answer is no to both of those questions, great. But if there's something that's going to potentially impede someone else's freedom and well-being, then you get, to, you get to really look at that. Yeah. And, and make the adjustment. Yeah. We move into the transcendent moment conversation with Imagine, how she came to be the powerful sex educator that she is the powerful sex coach that she is, and the difference between sex education, sex work, and sexual empowerment coaching. She is a incredible sex educator, and she respects the work of sex workers to a great degree. Yeah, and just to be clear, you know, sex work and sex education are different things. Um, I'm a sex educator, and there are a lot of sex educators that are also sex workers and that's an important part of like their come from as educators um you know it really came from my own upbringing and just you know i grew up with you know military dad uh single parent oldest kid oldest daughter so i went through everything first not easy <laughs> in my family um and i started dating pretty young and i started having sex really young before i was ready um, my first sexual experiences really were not consensual. Nobody asked. Uh, there was no conversation. I didn't know how to talk about it. Um, and then that led to pregnancy scares that led to, you know, just like so much confusion and not knowing um, what to do or who to reach out to. I really didn't have one adult that I could talk to about what was going on in my life. I felt, you know, really. Um, me. I felt really isolated and really scared. And um, so that was sort of like level, you know, ground zero of, you know, and, and then we moved around a lot because I was in a military family. I went to three different high schools in four years and I did, I got zero sex education, zero. So three different high schools, two states, no sex ed, total ignorance, 
um, really the blind leading the blind, figuring it out, not knowing my body, not knowing how to have an orgasm. When I finally was having sex with boyfriends that I wanted to have sex with, uh, not knowing how to have an orgasm really took me years before I went to college and got good sex education and finally learned my body and finally learned how to have an orgasm. I was like ecstatic. Oh my God, why did I have to wait this long to get this information? Um, and then also coming out late, you know, and I think when I was growing up, there were no gay characters on TV. Um, any gay character I saw in a movie was the butt of a joke um, or being hurt. You know, there wasn't, there were no positive expressions of gay people. And I think I would have come out much younger had I had that. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that are really hard about being a kid today, but one of the great things about growing up today is there are so many role models, so many depictions of healthy gay people, trans people. Um, you know, we're, it's getting better with trans people, but still some, a lot of stereotypical stories. But uh, that would have helped me a lot, you know? So it was, it was just really a lot of isolation and ignorance. Mm -hmm. And then finally getting that sex education, I just knew, oh my God, you know? And I came into my own feminism as well and became an activist around gender issues, around sexual assault, around reproductive justice, all of that. And I just knew I wanted to work to empower women and girls especially, and that this was the doorway I wanted to help people through because I knew what it meant for my life. It, it empowered me. When I got empowered sexually, it empowered me in all other aspects of my life. Um, I think it impacts everything. I agree. And I, I think that there's so many, you know, opportunities to be gained by uh, a couple um, uh, working with you and, and professionals like you and, and, and you, uh, just really quick, we have, uh, I'm going to an event that you're doing tonight. What, what, tell me what this event is and, and, and tell me how it reaches people. Yeah. I mean, I'm always doing events. I, you know, I primarily work with women and non-binary people. Um, but you know, as we are recording this, we are Valentine's day is upon us mm -hmm. and, so I wanted to offer some things for people of all genders. Um, you know, a lot of times men are like, I want to go to these events. What are you going to have something I can come to? You know, or a lot of the women in my work want to bring their male partners, the, the ones that have male partners. So, yeah, so I'm, I host this erotic carnival and I usually host it at my firewoman retreats. And I've never hosted it for all genders. And I decided I wanted to do that for all genders. And so... The idea is that we just get to learn different sexual skills and you get to make your own adventure. There's multiple teachers and multiple rooms. Um, I love to do it in person. This one, of course, is on our favorite platform, Zoom. Um, but, you know, part of what we need is more opportunities to actually just learn sexual skills and try things on without the pressure of a partner you know, there whose needs we need to meet. And, you know, that's a lot of times how we're figuring things out. And a lot of times that doesn't work because we get so embarrassed that we're fumbly or we don't know, or we get insecure that we're not doing it right, or we get feedback that they want it different. And then we think, oh my God, you know, feedback is wonderful. Like pro tip, anytime someone gives you sexual feedback, the answer, the response is, thank you so much for telling me what you like. Like that alone changes everything because when we create an environment in our relationship <coughs> that says we talk about sex here and it's normal to talk about sex here, we have better sex. I mean, that, that's how, you know, getting feedback is how you learn to meet the needs of your partner. This partner isn't going to be like the last one or two before that or whatever. Like everyone is different and every body is different. And that builds so, trust. Mm-hmm. And that builds and, and communication is everything. Uh, we begin to let go of assumption. Now there's a lot to be said with, with intuitive uh, beingness and, and, and communication non-verbally. And we also get to learn to speak it and say it out loud and, and communicate in that way, trying it right. on. Which I've by the way, is one of the things I'm teaching tonight, which is dirty talk. I love teaching dirty talk. And it's, it's a thing that like people get so shy about. They're so nervous to utter the, the words. Um, but for me, I'm a very aural person. Like I get turned on by music. I wanna hear my lover's voice. 
you tell me a good sexy story, best turn on, you know? So learning how to talk to our lovers in a sexy way is really important as well. Like a lot of us like to hear our lovers' voices. That's a big, big turn on. But, you know, where do we get to learn that? You know, there's not a lot of opportunities to learn those kinds of things in a no pressure environment where you don't have to do anything. Nothing is expected of you. You can just come and learn. And if you like drop into this class, you're like, eh, I'm not really into dirty talk. You can go over here and learn oral skills from, you know, my friend, Sunny Megatron, or you can go over here and learn erotic touch from my friend, Marsha, you know? So, so I put different teachers in different rooms, teaching different things, and there's something for everyone. And it's just so much fun. So. I love it. And, and, and this is, we have a really good friend, uh, Tori, that we keep saying we're going to introduce you to. And, and I, I feel like the power of what you guys, um, uh, what, what your profession can teach and open us up. And we get to let go of the world of shame or the world of assumption and expectations around this. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing that we get to experience sexuality in this lifetime. And it's such an un unfortunate uh, thing that, that we carry any shame around it or any uh, weight because it's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I know we're going to close shortly, but I want to just really, you know, I know this is called Unleash Your Creative Beast. And, you know, sexual energy and creative energy are the same thing. Mm -hmm. It comes from the same well. You're not drawing from a different well when you're writing your script than you do from when you're making love to your beloved. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're pulling the same source energy, that same life force energy, that same generative energy that all of us came from, all of us were created from, however our conception happened. And so there's no way that that sexual energy, creative energy, couldn't be the core of who we are. It absolutely is the core. We came from there. There's no way for us to be separate from it. And when we separate ourselves from it, when we say, I'm pushing that over there, we're pushing down our creative potential. We're pushing down our ability to, um, to generate what we're here to generate in our lives. And so my belief is we use our sexual energy to create everything we're here to create, whether you're making movies, whether you're an artist or a musician, whether you're creating community or whether you're creating family, you know, or a business. Creation. Like we're, we're all here to create. We're creative beings. And it comes from that generative sexual energy. Mm -hmm. That's it, absolutely. And, and I know that every character I've ever played, uh, I've, 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 I've enjoyed the experience of the, the sexuality of them. I've jo enjoyed the experience of expressing myself on stage through uh, leading with, with my third chakra, leading with um, that passion, because what I'm so passionate about when I'm, when I'm playing a role, I get to live in that passion. I get to live in that sexual energy. And when I'm writing the same thing, um, so beautiful. So this is, this is fantastic. Um, uh, you're, a, you're a star at what you do. Um, you have such a gift to offer people. Um, there, there's obviously going to be a link here. Um, I'd love to do this again later for a different season, but, um, sure thing. but you, you're, you're incredible. Imagine. And I'm so grateful for you in my life. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get some resources for your people if you want to kind of dive a little deeper. Um, some of that's those. exactly right. So uh, what's that? Confidence. Oh, the confidence quiz. I took the confidence quiz that you gave me and I was able to walk away, go and journal, ask those questions of myself, learn about myself in the process, uh, learned how incredibly powerful uh, building confidence works in our lives. And we talked about that today. Um, can our audience receive that power uh, confidence quiz from you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's free to take the confidence quiz and find out your confidence type. My perspective on confidence is that, you know, I think a lot of times we treat confidence like it's you have it or you don't, right? And if you have the secret sauce, then it's going to do everything you need. And I, I see confidence differently. I think that there are many flavors of confidence and there's a lot of, there are different um, assets for diff these different confidence types. And so, you know, if you're, that looks one way, which I think is what you said yours was, right? 
power player. That's a power yeah. player, right? Mm-hmm. So power player is a particular confidence type. And I think that's the classic confidence type that we kind of think of as confidence. But there's there's also like the warm right? And like like the asset, the currency for the warm connector is friendliness, right? It's a social currency. And a lot of the, uh, the confidence in the warm connector comes from the way that they can connect with people and connect people to one another. Uh, they thrive on that. Um, you know, there's the enigma, right? Which is like, like um, you know, like mystery is more their currency, right? And so, so sometimes we're a blend of a couple. So there's five different types. I won't tell you all of them. You can take the quiz and see what your type is. Um, Sometimes we're a little bit of a blend of of a couple, but understanding our own, like how our own confidence works and then also how to work with the other confidence types helps us to be more effective in getting what we want, whether it's sexually or in business or money negotiations or whatever. Um, So that's that's the idea with with the confidence types and the quiz. And I've been teaching this work for almost 10 years and it's still one of my most popular classes. I have a confidence class that I still sell uh, all the time. People love that work. Uh, and that and- would help entertainment professionals so much. I mean, that's that's it. People re- react to that confidence. And then there's the language, the conversation. It's, you know, just be, it's, it's how you communicate with the other. It's not how necessarily I need to be communicated with. It's how the other gets to be communicated with, right? And there's exactly. there's a difference. It's not about exactly. you, right? Yeah. I mean, confidence is universally sexy, right? We all want it. I mean, it's probably the number one thing people tell me that they want. Yeah. I want more confidence. I want more confidence. How do I get it, right? And so I think when we open up and we understand, we get to use the assets that we already have mm-hmm. to build our confidence. And it doesn't have to look a particular way. It's like, oh, I'm never going to be... Richard Branson level confidence. Well, your confidence gets to work for you. Yeah. Do yourself a favor, uh, go and 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 work through with one of her in her one of her classes and all of her classes. Uh, you will you will gain so much from the experience. All right, imagine. See you soon.